Welcome to another episode of Web Dev Weekly, the weekly podcast about web development. I'm Richard Gottlieber. And I'm Brad Garropy. And this week, we're going to be covering all the different ways you can render a website. There's mainly three ways. You got client side, server side, and of course, statically generating it. And around that becomes lots of conversation about pros and cons and what frameworks you can use to do this kind of stuff. So we're going to hit on each of them. And maybe just to get started, we talk about, you know, when you type in an address into your address bar, what happens? Yeah, no, I, I think I got this one, Brad. I remember this from an interview question. So you type in like google.com into URL. And the first thing that's going to happen is your computer is going to look at the local DNS to see if that's available there because it needs to resolve it to an IP address, right? And if it's not available in the local DNS, then it's going to go and look at like the local network DNS. Is this where you're going? Like what happens when you type it in? So we can after, keep going. After it transitions through all the physical and virtual layers of networking. No, like we could probably cut out a lot of that, that middleman and talk about mostly once it reaches the server on the other end, what happens? So when you type something into your browser, it will go through all of the layers of networking that, that Richard knew everything about. And once it hits the server uh, and the server receives that request, it can do a couple things. If it's a statically generated website, all of the HTML content is ready to go on the server and the server just responds with exactly that static HTML page. Or if it's server-side rendered, the server can essentially handle that request, maybe hit a database, you know, make some calls and generate that HTML on the server side, then send it back down. Or of course, you've got your third option, which is client side rendering, where the server, instead of sending down a pre-rendered HTML page, it actually just kind of sends down an HTML skeleton and then alongside it, a ton of JavaScript that once received on the client side, the JavaScript executes and builds the HTML there. I think that we could definitely dive into each of those a bit more, but based on that, I mean, static sites all the way every time, right? Because it's just going to be plain faster. And why would you ever need anything else? And static sites are great and they have a ton of upsides like speed, like security, things like that. But at the end of the day, if you're if you're doing something complicated that requires a lot of inputs to to get that HTML, you're not going to hand code it all. What if that data changes? You know, you you have to have a build pipeline to create those pages before placing them on the web server. Yeah, and this is something that I don't know. Having been around web development space for a a while, I remember, like for example, back in the day when it was just like HTML. And maybe CSS, like, you know, if we're getting fancy. And you do things like going to the extreme for performance reasons of taking your website and making it all one line of code. After you were done, like you'd, you'd you know, build it out and it'd be nice and formatted well. But then before you deployed it, before you FTP'd it up to your website host, you take it and make it one line. Because new lines took up too much time on the download. That was amazing, like... Amazing world, and it was crazy at the time. You know, you had animated GIFs of, you know, like website under construction with a little dude like digging, you know, <laughs> whatever. And the environment for developers at that time 
I think you didn't really care because you were doing this thing and you were putting out something that like other people on the internet could see. But now like the developer experience is so amazing when it comes to like you're saying like build pipelines, even just for static sites, right? So we're talking about building a website that is just HTML and CSS, and that's what your computer downloads. Everything is good to go. But we have now tools like Gatsby, like Next, SvelteKit, Sapper, Hugo, like the list goes on and on of different frameworks that will enable you to create templates, right? So if you have a blog, every single page of that blog is going to basically look the same. The contents are going to be different, but like, you know, the skeleton that those contents are hanging on, it's going to be the same every time. In the olden days, you'd have to go and like manually do all the different changes. You could copy and paste some, but you know, different headings would have to be coded in there. Like if you had an H1 or an H2, you're going to type those out by hand. Whereas now you can take something like Gatsby will do this. Like pretty much every one of those frameworks does this. You take Markdown, which is, you know, just kind of a fancy way of typing out plain text with a few little special characters here and there to denote formatting and boom, out comes a fully generated website. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, and now the biggest downside with those build pipelines is that if you have like a lot of content, like a lot of blog articles, or you're pulling in data from lots of different sources, for example, I have this website that is statically generated that gets data from Spotify and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and local markdown files. By all means, static sites are no longer simple. They can source data from anywhere, but all that has to be compiled and built into your website, the static website, and then placed on the web server. Now, personally, I've never really run into uh, long build times, even, even while doing image processing in the build pipeline. Have you ever had a project or a website that you statically generated that you kind of ran into that limitation? So I have not come anywhere close to this. I was looking and I actually just moved my personal website from Netlify builds over to GitHub Actions. With all my personal projects, my personal website, everything, I was using a whopping 30 minutes of build time a month on Netlify out of the 300 free minutes that they give you. So I'm not coming close to using all the, all the minutes they give you just for free on Netlify. But I will say, moving over to GitHub Actions and having it do the build there is awesome because you have unlimited free minutes if it's a public repo. And you have more control in GitHub Actions too. You can tell it exactly when and what you want to run and exactly when and how you want to deploy to Netlify. I found that Netlify's Git integration is amazing. We talked about that developer utopia in our free hosting episode, but it it's kind of opinionated, like slightly limited. It says, you know, if you want to deploy this branch, you have to deploy it to this specific subdomain. With GitHub Actions, you could do anything you want using the Netlify CLI. Yeah, I think that it's that trade-off, right? Like Netlify brings the simplicity and like a healthy dose of, you, you call that opinionated. To me, it's, I call it the magic, right? Where like, it just happens and it works and it's great, but it works the way they want it to work. Whereas with GitHub Actions, it's a lot more interesting to set up and to debug like Netlify has that magic where it just works and GitHub actions. Yeah. It's like, you know, okay, cool. Now you're an adult and you have unlimited power. What do you want to do? Right. The training wheels are off. 
but yeah, no, I also used it to set up scheduled builds of my website, which is another thing that's kind of interesting where I can publish the website and I can publish articles with future dates on them. So I can schedule that way and then only actually build out the pages from those with a template when that date has occurred. So in this way, I can schedule and still have a static site that like automatically updates, if you will, which is really kind of cool. I mean, it's, it's kind of this like nice blend between dynamic content that shows up on a certain date, but it's not dynamic at all. It's just, I've completely redeployed the website. One thing you mentioned the cost of like image processing and everything. And I know that some of the frameworks like Next and Gatsby are working on only rebuilding the pieces that have changed because that is a huge cost. You know, if you have a huge website with a lot of images, maybe you're a photographer, right? And your portfolio is massive. And now you're going to do image optimization on every single one of these photos, which is one of the strong suits of Gatsby. In my opinion, the Gatsby image stuff is amazing because it'll like format and auto generate all the different versions of your image, but takes a long time. Have you had any experience with any of those like iterative deploys where they only deploy the change? Yeah. And it, it hasn't been great. If you ask me, I made a spreadsheet a while back on Gatsby's incremental builds. I was using it when it was kind of in beta and I found that their like cold start problem. If you ever cleared the cache was like pretty bad. I'm sure that's gotten better now where my builds are only, you know, two to three minutes long. And I've got like a healthy, you know, 60 some odd blog posts and probably 30 or 40 images that are being processed, you know, right in the build pipeline. But I know that uh, Gatsby and Next are working hard at actually taking this image processing and making it asynchronous. So it doesn't have to be done inside of the build pipeline. And of course, if you don't want to spend that time at build time, you could always send your images over to Cloudinary and they process them for you and put them on a CDN. So like all your users are going to get them really, really fast with the transforms that you want on them. Yeah, there's definitely a bunch of different ways to solve the problem of, of build time. And I think that that only really becomes a problem when you have a site that has a lot of media content that you are also optimizing in your build. Yeah. Other than that, like it's really nice to offload the build one time and that's all the processing you have to do. And then your site's done and you can forever host it, which is another thing to point out about static sites. Hosting is often free, if not free, very cheap because it's just hosting the HTML. There's no compute being done. Everything is good to go. You can put it on a CDN, an S3 bucket. You know, it can be basically anywhere. And I think that's why, too, you see all these different providers that will provide you with free hosting, like Netlify, Vercel, you know, everything like that, GitHub pages, because you're just putting a little bit of data out there on the internet. And the bandwidth these days is so ridiculously cheap that the cost to the provider is basically negligible. For sure. And so... You mentioned that you got really fancy and set up a GitHub Actions cron job that rebuilds your site in order to kind of catch the new posts that are coming out. Now, that data changes, what, at most, probably once a day. But imagine if you have a lot of data changes where you would have to rebuild your site many times a day. 
eventually that's just not going to scale. And you're going to have to reach for something like server-side rendering, meaning instead of pre-generating your whole entire site at a given time, server-side rendering kind of on a per route basis of your website generates it on the fly. So for instance, if you were grabbing like, I don't know, if you think about your Instagram feed or something, uh, you would go to Instagram and it would say like, okay, give me the, the latest 30 posts of all the people that Brad follows and return that down. That data is changing all the time, but it's going to give you kind of the latest snapshot every time you go hit that page. And that's what server-side rendering is. It bakes in the actual data as of that request time right into the HTML and sends it down. Yeah. An easy way to kind of think about it, so we have static sites and then server-side rendering is kind of like that on-demand static site generation, right? Where it will take all the JavaScript and run everything on the server. So you as the website host are paying for that compute time and then you end up serving still that static HTML out to the user. It's just, it's been dynamically generated right then. And I feel like traditionally these server-side rendered websites are essentially long-running applications that are handling requests. So you can think of it like Node.js with an express server running to listen for those requests that says, hey, please build me this page and give it back to me. Or Ruby on Rails or Laravel or any of the PHP frameworks, right? And of course, that has an implication on hosting. Now you're going to kind of have to pay for something that is a long-running process. And you have to think about scaling it too. Like what if you get a gazillion requests because you made a something that was really popular? Now that process has to be able to handle lots and lots of incoming traffic. And you have to figure out how to scale that vertically or horizontally. You should see my arms right now. I'm like <laughs> making all these weird airplane motions. Yeah, scaling is definitely a problem. Have you messed with any of the serverless server-side rendering as crazy as that sounds it's a thing <laughs> so like i believe behind the scenes that's exactly what Vercel does for next.js when you want to do a server-side rendered uh page and i i can't remember what the method is called like get it's static props or get server props i can't remember the name of the actual function but I believe that's what they do is they essentially just deploy a Lambda that gets those on demand, generates the page, and kicks it back out. So yeah, it is possible to do in a serverless function. Heck, you could even run an express server inside of a serverless function if you really wanted to and route an entire website. And that would definitely scale better. But I've never put it into practice. Yeah, I haven't either. And I'll just say serverless is one of the most confusing terms right now, in my opinion, because it doesn't mean serverless. It just means short-lived server functions. Like it, anyway, that's a completely different discussion, the naming of things in our current state of web development stuff. One thing to point out that we didn't mention about static sites is SEO. So if you need to have your website indexed by a search engine, static sites are great for this because the search engine crawler can see everything that's on your site and it can index it appropriately. Server-side rendered, also very good at this because the search engine crawler comes to your site and that HTML, CSS, and everything is generated for that crawler and given back to it. So again, great for SEO 
especially if you have content that changes a lot, right? As you mentioned, like having some sort of app or something where the content is constantly changing behind the scenes, server-side rendered, fantastic for that. Yes, and you mentioned that server-side rendered sites are, you can think of it as on-demand building the site. So what that means is every time that you're going to click a link or navigate around the website, you're demanding that the server render your website again. So kind of a downside here is that when you're navigating internally on a server-side rendered site, you're going to see that reload, that full page reload every time you click around. If that's something that, that bugs you or is detrimental to your user experience, this is a great place to introduce client-side rendering. Client-side rendering allows you to kind of load, but imagine you're loading the whole entire website one time. And that means the initial load is going to be slow. But now that it's all loaded, when you're clicking around to links, all that is actually happening in your browser on the client side. And so internal navigation on a client-side rendered app is typically very, very fast. But as a slow initial load, because there's so much JavaScript that has to be pulled down to help facilitate that. So what I'm hearing you say, Brad, is that this whole experience, it's like slowing down, but then it's nice and peaceful, just like a spa day, right? <laughs> oh, that was golden. Yes, nice and CSRs. peaceful. CSRs, <laughs> they're great for spa applications too. You know, if you have something where you're going to have a single page application, that means a lot of it's going to be happening on the client's computer. Just giving them everything at the beginning, it's an ideal time to, to use a CSR because you give them everything and then they can do what they need with it. And they're not going to probably be having a lot of back and forth with the server. But when they do need to do something, then they can send that information back with like a post or whatever to the server. And honestly... The difference between like when you would pick SSR and CSR is a little fuzzy to me. Like at the end of the day, you have to choose whether you want a longer initial load for a smoother experience. And that kind of depends on the product or like uh, a fairly quick load, but then every time you change routes. So I think it's very dependent on what the thing is that you're building. But biggest caveat between client-side rendering and server-side rendering is the SEO factor. Server-side rendering covers it just fine. However, client-side rendering, because the initial HTML payload is just that skeleton with no real data in it, Google's not really going to know what's in there and it's not going to be able to index your website well. There's been some reports that says, you know, Google will run the JavaScript on your site and then re-index it. But I've heard that that wait time is almost like two weeks because they're like, re-indexing the whole web again. Yeah, I remember listening to a podcast with one of the engineers who works on the web crawler bot at Google. And there's a few things that you can do to make that process better if they are having to run the JavaScript. But yes, it is definitely, it takes longer and it may not always get to everything because there's only a certain amount of time that the bot itself will spend running your page before it says, ah, moving on. There's a few things you can do too with giving like some skeleton HTML beforehand, before you actually give the whole payload that can help that process. But I think that's a different topic to talk about. Another thing we should talk about with uh, client-side rendered websites is 
you're doing all your data fetching from the client because it's client side rendered. Meaning previously, server would take care of like sending other API requests and handling secrets and doing stuff like that and getting the data you need. In this case, this is just a bunch of JavaScript running in your browser that has to make API calls and manage client secrets, or it gets kind of complex when you have to hit protected APIs from the client. Uh, so a lot of times, even on your client-side rendered applications, you're still gonna call out to some kind of serverless function or proxy that protects your secrets to get data. And there's a lot of orchestration that has to happen too, because think about it. You load essentially a blank HTML page and you have to go make a bunch of API requests to get your data. That means, what do you do in the meantime? You have to show the user that like things are happening. We're waiting for stuff, loading screens, skeleton screens, and it, it does get fairly complicated. Whereas server-side rendering, you just wait and then boom, everything shows up. Yeah, there's definitely trade-offs. I know you mentioned the fuzziness of like when to use which and probably oversimplifying a bit here. But in my mind, when I think about client-side versus server-side, well, I guess I'll start with static, right? If you have data that's not changing, it's not an application, you use static site generation, right? It's the fastest, it's the easiest. Like that's where I'd go first. From there, I kind of think about it like if it's an application, like if you could conceptualize what you have as something you install on your phone, then I kind of would lean to client-side rendered. If it's something that the app on your phone would just be basically a website view, think like eBay, something like that, right? Where you need to see like inventory and stuff with real, like real-time updates on the server, then it's going to be server-side. That's just kind of like high level how I split them up in my mind. Yeah, I think if I could give like the, the archetype, in my opinion, static site, blog, or landing page, or marketing page. Uh, Server-side rendered application, I would probably do something like maybe an e-commerce store or even maybe something like Facebook or Instagram, like a social media type feed. Client-side rendered application, I might do that more for like admin dashboards or things like that, where there's lots of tabs and interactions that you're going to configure and input data and do things like that. So that once the app loads, the user can freely go around and modify, change and view things without experiencing those load times again. But it is, it's really hard to bucket these three types of rendering because to be honest, you can kind of get each type of rendering to work like another type. You can kind of make a static site feel server rendered or feel dynamic, and you can make a server rendered site seem static, right? Like you can kind of cross pollinate there. And to that point, just to kind of start to wrap up a bit, I think that we're seeing too that many of the frameworks in the web development space are starting to do that morphing into all the different areas, right? Where it used to be, you know, you were going to pick like Jekyll if you wanted a static site or Gatsby was really great for static sites. And, you know, like a great example of this in my mind is Svelte. So you had Svelte, which is for, you know, 
not static sites, and you had Sapper, which was, you know, static sites. Now there's SvelteKit. It does both, right? So you kind of get this, like, weird blend of, like, you know, some of the stuff can be static. Some of it can be client-side rendered. Some of it can be server-side rendered. I know you're a big fan of Next, and they're doing that, too. Like you mentioned, with calling out to a server-side rendered piece of your website. But then part of it could be also like statically generated, you know, say you have a blog, but then like, you know, you go to a different tab and suddenly it's Brad's crazy web app, like all generated with the same framework, but working in all these different ways. So it's kind of like this weird homunculus of all these different parts. And we're getting to that point now where the frameworks are so robust that, I don't know, it's, it's great, but you also end up with this space where knowing which direction to go with certain parts of your application becomes very important. So it's like, you know, unlimited power and choices. Oh my gosh, unlimited choices. What do I do? Yeah, it's, it's very crippling sometimes, but now I feel like you're making that decision on a per route basis instead of an entire application basis. So if you have a website that has uh, like a landing page and then a blog and then also a store, Next.js kind of supports that. It's like you use the, the static rendering portion for the landing in the blog. And then for the store, you use your server-side rendered portion. Next is also doing this crazy thing called ISR or incremental static regeneration. And this is, this is the perfect blend of static and server-side rendered where it serves it essentially as a static site until a particular revalidation period. So like you're going to say, I'm going to serve this static for a week. And then after that revalidation period ends, because it's passed through headers, it will regenerate that portion of your website and put it on a CDN and then continue to serve it statically. And you're in control of that revalidation timeframe. Yeah. And I think Netlify just came out with something similar for their functions where they will cache the function results for you. Uh And it is, again, I don't know. I I keep using this like a healthy dose of magic in there because the caching timeout and everything, they just take care of that behind the scenes. Their view on it is once you start having to pick when a cache expires and starting to set up all these things, it becomes difficult to set up a cache. And so people don't do it. People will often like, if they're unsure when the cache will invalidate, they'll just make it so every single time it invalidates because you don't want to serve something that's stale. So that's really cool. I don't know, like, again, we're at that point where the magic is awesome for starting out. And then as you start to understand and need more, you can dig in deeper and actually change the tools to do what you want, which I think, again, kind of goes back to that, like, we're living in like the golden age of web development right now, I think, like, you know, the machine overlords haven't taken over and GPT-4 or whatever hasn't started doing development. So we don't have a job and like, you know, we don't have to do the single line websites anymore. So it's a really good spot to be, in my opinion. Agreed. And one thing I will say about the trend of where we're going, I I don't think we're hearing much about client-side rendering anymore. Don't get me wrong, things get rehydrated on the front end where your JavaScript can take over and still do a bunch of client-side stuff. But most of the conversation that's happening is about is about how do we effectively use CDNs and caching intelligently 
And then how do we choose when to serve things statically versus generate them on the server? I, we're not hearing a whole bunch about, you know, how do we do things more effectively in the browser, in the client side? And I think Svelte was kind of that line in the sand that was like, look, 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 we can still be very interactive without client side rendering everything. Yeah. And I think too, a lot of that comes from the fact that like serverless and functions like that are becoming so fast and like the warm-up time to start a serverless function is like sub-second now. So it's almost instantaneous and the scaling just works and you don't have to worry about like bandwidth issues and stuff like that. So I think we're definitely in a good place. So yeah, that's just kind of a brief overview of three of the main ways to generate websites. Thanks for tuning in to Web Dev Weekly. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe in your podcast player. And check us out on Twitter. You can find our handles in the show notes below. See you next week.